0: Welcome to the Podcast at DC. My name is David Yoakum. I'm the director of The Lab at DC. It's my pleasure to have Nick Hart with us today. As a little bit of context here, in March of 2016, the Congress passed the Evidence-Based Policy Making Commission Act with bipartisan support. President Obama signed it, and then over the course of a year, the commission came together, and almost a month ago to the day, their report was issued 22 recommendations around how the federal government can better generate and use evidence in government. And of course, this is something near and dear to the heart of the lab at DC, where what we're doing is waking up and going to bed thinking about how can we use and generate evidence for district policy making and program delivery. So the pleasure for me having Nick with us today is that uh, Nick Hart was the policy and research director for the commission itself, and is currently the director of the Bipartisan Policy Commission's Evidence-Based Policymaking Initiative, which is something we're going to talk about, continuing this work moving forward. Last thing I'll say is that you not only have direct ability to speak to what the commission was doing and what it's recommending, but also a very rich, interesting background working in the federal government itself at the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB. And so I think the experience you bring to bear is not only about the commission per se, but exposure to what the federal government is trying to be doing for the last decade with evidence, and so bring that. So with that, Nick, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be, good to be here. I think where it makes the most sense to start off is to kind of invite you to tell us about what the Evidence-Based Commission is. Where did it actually come about from?
1: So as you mentioned, the Congress passed legislation in 2016 creating the commission. Uh, it was a piece of legislation that had actually been out there for a number of years, and the genesis was a set of conversations with Speaker of the House Paul Ryan and Senator Patty Murray back when they were the respective budget chairs of their chambers. And they recognized that there were a lot of questions that they had about government programs and recognized that government collects a lot of data. And so they got together and said, there has to be a strategy we can develop to better use the data we're already collecting in government to generate evidence. And so that's specifically what the commission was was tasked to do. Uh, So the legislation that you mentioned Uh, laid out a number of very specific things for the commission to look at. Should there be a data clearinghouse in government? How do we protect privacy and confidentiality uh, when we're using these data? And that's what the strategy the commission ultimately came up with was specifically designed to address.
0: So, I mean, using evidence in government, I think (coughs) your average person on the street would assume we always do this. And you have a very, the commission, the, the report, has a very interesting chapter talking about sort of the history of the federal government going all the way back to the constitution and the census. And, you know, throughout the 20th century, a number of landmark commissions or legislation that was passed to continue to sort of spur the collection of evidence and use of it. I guess what I'm wondering going into this is that if there has been this kind of arc of increasing use of evidence, there's a lot of statistical agencies and so forth, what's like, why now? What happened a year ago that, spurred the thought that we need to do some kind of a special move, why wasn't what we were doing previously enough?
1: Well there are a lot of places in government that are doing incredible work around generating evidence. We have a long history with the statistical agencies of the federal government, so the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, Economic Research Service. They do a lot of really fantastic work generating national indicators, national statistical indicators that are relevant in policymaking. There are a lot of other functions that are relevant in this evidence context that don't exist as strongly in government. And I think that was part of the recognition that Senator Murray and Speaker Ryan had, which is we don't have enough evaluation about programs. So that's a very specific skill set that we often need and, and don't have in many agencies today, though there are some exceptions to that. So the question that they were interested in is how do you actually build a robust, robust evidence portfolio uh, how do you ensure that the evaluations that you need to answer specific questions are actually in place and exist at the point in time where you need to answer that question and uh, You know, I think the American people uh, Generally expect that government is operating as effectively and as efficient as possible uh, members of Congress uh, the president uh, bureaucrats and the executive branch are all interested in implementing programs as well as possible. We know that far too often the evidence doesn't actually exist for us to, to do that today, to make the best decisions that we can make in, in implementing programs. And so that is the recognition. We've done a lot of work in developing performance indicators, performance measurements, uh, statistical indicators, but now we've got to go to the next step. We've got to be able to figure out how we routinely generate the evidence that's needed as just a normal part of government operations and then actually use that evidence in policy making. The vision the commission was laying out.
0: Right. And I did there's another part of the report that struck me where you had sort of a a table of outstanding questions that Hmm? we don't know the answers to. And they're often really big ticket items that the government does, often with a lot of money behind them, things like, you know, really what is the impact of the supplemental nutrition assistance program or SNAP? Do military veterans, if they go through the military, are they actually Gaining skill sets that are more likely to land them higher income jobs. And I think what was kind of struck about that is if you see those kind of big questions that we're not really sure how they're working, it feeds yeah. into this, like, we really do need something additional. Well, so, so the act is passed, and it calls for a commission to be assembled.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have no idea how commissions <laughs> come together, how the composition set. Kind of on the on the back end, how do these things come about? Like who starts them? How did you get into this? How were the members selected? Ah, so the members of the
1: Commission were politically appointed. So we had 15 members, a mixture of Republicans and Democrats. The President appointed three members, the Speaker of the House appointed three, the Senate Majority Minority Leader appointed three, and the House Minority Leader appointed three. So it was an incredible process of political leaders coalescing around the, the right kinds of members with the right sort of background for informing the ultimate recommendations. I'll say that five of the commissioners were specifically selected for their expertise in the topic of privacy. And that's really a reflection of how important the privacy and confidentiality conversation is in this broader discussion around evidence building. Uh, So how did I get mixed up in all of this work? Uh, Well, unlike many commissions, this particular commission uh, had some funding. And when you have funding for a commission, you can hire staff. And I think it was it was a lot of fun. We, we learned a lot at the staff level, but it was really a good strategy for helping inform the deliberations of the commissioners. So uh, we were able to do a lot of research that may not have otherwise happened for an all-volunteer set of commissioners. Uh, so for example, we conducted a survey of federal agencies. And I, I can't say this for certain, but there's no counterfactual here, but in all likelihood, if there hadn't been a staff, we wouldn't have been able to conduct that survey or analyze the results.
0: How big was the staff?
1: Uh, so it was a staff of 10, so um, in, in government world, not a, not a massive staff, but a lot of really uh, specific expertise. Uh, we had a, a survey methodologist from a statistical agency, an individual from Housing and Urban Development who just come off running a major demonstration project there. Uh, so we really had a lot, of, a lot of good knowledge at the staff level, as well as the expertise of the commissioners, which I will just say was phenomenal. Uh, many of them had been program administrators. Uh, Catherine Abraham, who is the chair, was the two-time commissioner of the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, Bob Groves is former head of the Census Bureau. Uh, Nancy Potok, current chief statistician of the United States. So there was a lot of real deep-seated knowledge in the issues that we were charged to look at. And the commissioners uh, really applied that expertise at, at every stage. And that that's ultimately how they got to the final report.
0: Right. And it worked remarkably fast. I mean, it was start to finish a year to have the report come (laughs) out and I I want to turn in a minute to some of the recommendations but can you say a little bit about the process by which the recommendations were generated? Sure, so uh, the Commission had its first meeting in July
1: of 2016 and that launched a fact-finding and research process that included public meetings, public hearings, uh, a request for feedback from anyone in the public. Uh, the survey that I mentioned, and a whole host of other other meetings to learn about what government's currently doing or not in in this context. Uh, After all of that research was conducted, we went through a really exhaustive process of trying to synthesize everything that we'd learned, and the commissioners had a series of deliberations that
0: ultimately resulted in the recommendations that are presented in the report. And you also, for people that were just coming to these meetings off the off the street that weren't being sort of officially invited to come. I'm curious what sort of entities or people were were coming to talk to the commission about this and what sort of things you were hearing. Sure. Uh, so
1: the official meetings of the commission were largely invited guests. Uh, so the speakers were uh, somewhat strategically selected based on topics and themes that the commission had outlined. But there were three public hearings, uh, one here in DC, one in San Francisco, and one in Chicago. And anyone who wanted to come talk to the commission could Could do so. Uh, And there was a lot of really great feedback that the commission received through that process. Uh, It was a mixture of university researchers, uh, some think tanks, and uh, individuals from the public that had no particular affiliation but wanted to share their views. And I think the commission learned a lot about different perspectives and and perceptions uh, through that process. So it was incredibly valuable.
0: Right. And part of the reason I asked that question is kind of whether it provided a window into what. A typical person on the streets' expectations or demands are yep. to government in terms of how they're using evidence, and I don't know if you've you've thought of that in the terms of either those hearings or if it's come else elsewise. It kind of what's the pulse of the average person's expectations here? So uh, I would say
1: more through the we, we posted a notice in
0: the Federal Register, right. uh,
1: which is not a document that most people are just going to stumble across. But we were really impressed with the number of individuals from the public who found the notice and, and provided really thoughtful comments. I think through that process, the commission learned a lot about, uh, for individuals and the public, how important this topic of privacy and protecting data that should be held confidentia- com- confidentially, it really is. Uh, and that was a theme that came up in, in not just a couple of comments, but in hundreds of the comments that we received through that process. Right.
0: Another thing that was remarkable about this, I think is what seems to be a genuine bipartisan Nature, starting with mm-hmm. most obviously the fact, Speaker Ryan, a Republican, and Senator Murray, a Democrat, co-sponsoring the bill. You correct me if I'm wrong. I think the act itself was unanimously passed. The mm-hmm. conditions recommendations were unanimously passed as well. In the backdrop of this, you also have an administration of change. You have things like the march on science happening. I know there's often. I certainly get this question a lot when I'm at and about sometimes both parties kind of accusing the other party of not really caring about the evidence. I'm kind of curious what it was like inside the, the commission as you're going through this when there's this larger kind of debate, to use that word, that's happening in the public. Is this something that affected the commission? How aware were you of it? So, uh, you know, when the commission started its work,
1: um, the commissioners all recognized that Whoever received the report as president uh, was going to be different than the president who signed the bill creating the commission. And I think that's an interesting bit of context that, I mean, this is a commission that was specifically designed across administrations. And with the backdrop that you outline of unanimity in Congress and saying that we need to figure out a strategy to use better evidence and some of the broader dialogue. Of course, that was uh, on the minds of the commissioners, but I would say, By and large, there was a recognition from very early on that uh, they wanted to have a product that everyone could coalesce around. And uh, much to the credit of Chair uh, Catherine Abraham, she was committed to uh, a product that every commissioner could sign on to. And I think you see that as uh, a really strong reflection of uh, this broader effort to have bipartisan discussions around how we better use evidence. Now, is everybody always gonna have the same interpretation of what the evidence says? Probably not, and that's okay, because evidence is supposed to inform the process, and uh, commissioners all recognize that. Right.
0: Well, it does seem to be a wonderful example of a process that can unfold across the political spectrum. Um, well, so why don't we turn and talk about some of the recommendations themselves, and there's there's 22, but we're not going to have a 100-hour uh, discussion, so we'll pick out a few of them. I guess the first one I want to ask about is the National Secure Data Service, or SDS. I don't know if you'll to it that way. Could you sort of open us up with a description of of what it is and what the problem is that it's addressing?
1: So, government collects a lot of data today, um, just through the course of running programs. Uh, We call them administrative data, and the commission was specifically tasked to think about a strategy for making better use of those data for generating evidence. I would say the National Secure Data Service is one of the major recommendations in the report, one of the priorities for all the commissioners as a recognition that we need to facilitate better access to those data, but do so in a really secure way. Um, to do so in a way that protects the privacy of those data, protects the confidentiality of those data. So the NSDS, the National Security Data Service, is, is the strategy the commissioners devised. Uh, it's envisioned as a place to temporarily bring together data. Uh, so this is not a massive new warehouse uh, of government information. It's intended as a place where data come together for as little time as possible, as little information as possible, only what's necessary for approved projects, for approved researchers, qualified individuals, and in no way releases publicly the confidential information. So my name or my social security number would not ever appear in a, a public domain as a consequence of bringing together data here. The other problem it's really intended to address is not just about access, it's about connecting the dots across policy silos Uh, We know the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. uh, Many government agencies are collecting data and they often need information from another agency to answer important policy questions that are relevant to them. And far too often, at least in the federal government today and in many states across the country, linking together data across those policy domains is, in some cases, impossible. Uh, And in many cases, really hard to do. And so the NSDS was one strategy to help address some of those barriers to linking data. And this is uh, this is hopefully a really sound strategy for doing it, by right? not establishing a major new uh, clearinghouse, uh, major warehouse. And in fact, the commission explicitly said that's not what we should do. And there's recommendations that, that outline exactly why that's not a favorite approach. Such as? So uh, you know, back in the 1960s there was a proposal around uh, uh, creating a data bank in, in the country and it was really a great idea if you took privacy out of the question, if you just wanted to conduct research, just throw everything in one place and it seems like a really reasonable solution if you're a researcher. If you're an individual whose data is thrown into that massive warehouse, there are reasons to be concerned about it. So. Uh, One example might be you don't know that your information is being used. So transparency is a really important part of the National Secure Data Service. Uh, Individuals should know how their information is being used for projects, what those projects are, and be able to understand maybe the results of those projects on the the back end. Far too often we know studies aren't even made publicly available in government today. Mm -hmm. And we can do a lot of work through things like the National Secure Data Service to disclose not just the projects as they're happening, but the results on the on the back end. The other thing I would say here is that we know privacy technologies and privacy protective technologies have advanced a lot in the last five, ten years. Um, there are new technologies emerging today and things are coming online that can be rapidly adopted. And that's one of the reasons the National Secure Data Service is not envisioned as a warehouse specifically because we know there are better ways of protecting data that don't require things coming mm-hmm. together in an in indefinitely stored place as a warehouse.
0: Right, I take it to privacy. Protection is probably the, the key thing there. To have yes, data sets only dynamically come together temporarily and then disconnect them again. That's absolutely right. Because the true. transparency component, you could you could imagine having that with a warehouse. Also, sure, that's right. 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 Well, is it also fair to think that this is going to involve a lot of people? I mean, who is going to be responsible for? I mean, sure, but you have the the technical build of something, a system that's capable of kind of dynamically bringing those data sets together. At least. In a lot of local governments, there's often questions about the way individual data sets were generated, the documentation around what's in them, that if you were to start trying to feed it into even a temporary place for a moment, my impression is that there'd be a lot of person power that would be needed to sort of work with the data sets to get them in the right format to use in this kind of dynamic way. Is that your sense as well? as the NSDS envisioning hiring kind of an army of data wranglers to help <laughs> do this type of work? So, um,
1: you know, the, the, the vision of the commission was not necessarily this massive expansion of government. Uh, and in fact, there's a lot of really great expertise that exists in government today that are doing similar activities. And the commission specifically recommended that we build on that expertise. It may be that some individuals move into the new service. It may be that they share their knowledge. Um, maybe they pull in other people from different government agencies to help staff the, the entity. Um, but there's nothing very specific about exactly how many people should be uh, part of this project. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very intentional. And part of that's a recognition that it's going to take some time to, to build the structure. And uh, there's a lot of implementation details that are still yet to be figured out. A Commission that only has one year uh, from start to finish uh, can't lay out a perfect <laughs> roadmap of every single detail that government would have to execute in order to implement something like this. And so there's really a recognition there's a lot of work to be done here. And some of the resource implications are going to have to have a real conversation with Congress and mm-hmm. folks in the executive branch. All
0: right. Next time, we'll give you an extra month or two to hand <laughs> out those details. Hey, you know, a lot can happen in a month. Who, who will have – what's the thinking on who will have access mm-hmm. to the NSDS and for what types of purposes? Yeah, so uh, this is not envisioned
1: as, by the commission as a, uh, a free-for-all on, on confidential data. Um, so, you know, Joe Smith walking down the street can't just walk in the door and say I want to access these data, show me everything you have. Uh, this is envisioned as an incredibly privacy protective framework where the only way individuals, researchers will be able to access the data is with specific approvals. So you have to, in that situation, justify that there is a uh, public good purpose that, that's happening. And what I mean by that is specifically around evidence building. So. The whole suite of Commission's recommendations are uh, framed around this construct of evidence-building and what we mean by that is things that are statistical activities. So generating an average or uh, a statistic about a program or policy. Um, This is not about administrative activities and so uh, affecting the rights or benefits of an individual, turning off uh, somebody's uh, uh, benefit payments or uh, investigating them for fraud, those are not things that happen through the National Secure Data Service. That was not the charge of the commission, and that's not embedded in the recommendations at all. This is specifically about figuring out how we develop better evidence and evaluations, statistics, things of that sort. So any of the projects that would get approved through the NSDS would have to hit that that
0: purpose. Right. Why not do the other sort of category of detection for fraud or other things like that that would go to an individual. Well, I would say
1: the you know first and foremost, it was not the charge of the commission. That was there's there's a whole suite of activities that government does uh, that the commission could have opined on with an infinite amount of time and infinite authority. Uh, what you ask about is is not what the charge was to the commission. The Commission was specifically tasked to think about how we better use data for evidence building, and so that's what the recommendations reflect.
0: Right. And I imagine so. I assume part of what would need to come next is funding for something like this to build the system, whatever staff is needed to either be sort of hired or corralled to do it. Uh, I guess the thought that comes to mind, though, is that it's not obvious to me whether this would be sort of an expensive thing to do or because of cost savings that could be had elsewhere, it would actually be very efficient, just because as it stands, maybe say a little bit about how, what, what do researchers have to go through currently to try to access Various data sources and pull them together. What is that experience like? What does it typically cost if you try to do some of these functions you're describing in the status quo system that we have now? So, there are a lot of different models for, for how it exists, and I would say it ranges um,
1: widely across topics, policy domains, agencies, even researchers. Uh, there's a phenomenal system of federal statistical research data centers, the FSRDCs. Um, largely funded by universities that enable some access to government data today, and it's an incredibly effective system, but there are limitations for for how it operates. Um, So, I mean, what is the resource base for NSDS? It's hard to say, right? So, uh, it would depend on some of those implementation things that are, as of yet, not, not resolved. Um, but there are some specific statements that the Commission offers for what should be included as we talk about resources. So first and foremost, resources are critical for all of this work. And it's not just about NSDS, but about the broader suite of data collection, data management, developing metadata, uh, the documentation around uh, what a data set includes. Um, those, those resource needs are real. And to some extent, existing resources may be available for all those activities. And other places we may need additional resources or or, um, strategies to identify better uh, allocation of resources to to meet those needs. But one of the things that the commission was specifically tasked to think about was, should this NSDS charge fees? And uh, there's a very brief statement to say there there needs to be some conversation about fee mechanisms. Uh, And this is not charging for data, it's charging uh, for access, for a a service. And uh, that's not gonna be the only strategy. Realistically, uh, You know, there may have to be an appropriation, there may be bringing together other resources, but that is all a conversation that's gonna to have to happen with Congress and the
0: executive branch as the system gets developed. Right. The report talks a lot about data privacy. You've been hitting on it several times today, date, and I imagine this is something that's probably a salient for a lot of people right now with things like the Equifax breach of data that happened made a lot of press just last month, mm-hmm. 140 million Americans' data uh, potentially hacked into and revealed. What are some of the things that the report recommends in terms of how to prevent something like an Equifax situation from happening in the SDS if it were to come into existence? So the, the commission doesn't have specific
1: recommendations around cybersecurity. Uh, and in fact, there was a commission just last year that made a lot of recommendations to the federal government about cybersecurity. The recommendations that the commission offers around privacy are largely figuring out how we better protect confidential data in the systems the government has. Uh, the National Secure Data Service is itself one strategy for employing some privacy enhancements that are using privacy protective technologies that are available today. Uh, but the commission also offered some really specific recommendations around. Uh, this idea of releasing information publicly. So uh, many agencies have what we call public use data files, or somebody analyzes information, and they release a statistic. We wanna make sure that anytime that happens that Nick Hart can't be re-identified in the data set or the statistic. And there are many examples today where we don't appropriately de-identify data. And that's unfortunate, because we know we have the strategies, the statistical methods, the approaches to appropriately protect these data. So the commission recommended that before we're releasing confidential data, we should be analyzing the risk of re-identification. It's a really simple concept that we take a step back before we release anything publicly and ask, can Nick Hart be re-identified in that dataset? And there are places in government that actually do this incredibly well today. The Census Bureau, many statistical agencies in the federal government have approaches and policies in place to do exactly this. The Commission wants that to become more pervasive across government. So anyone who is releasing a public use data file or a statistic is actually thinking thoughtfully about protecting the confidentiality of those data. And I'll just say that um, in some cases, if one part of government is inappropriately uh, releasing information, that has implications for other parts uh, of government as well. And so to the extent the commission was charged with thinking about evidence building across the entirety of government, this is a really important idea, that basically all of government needs to do this correctly, we need to do it as well as possible, because to the extent that one agency is doing it wrong, that's going to affect every other agency and their ability to release information. And there's a lot of data that we want to be publicly available, it's good for the democratic process, it's good for transparency in government. And uh, the risk assessments are, are one of the strategies the Commission offers to do better. Right.
0: The third kind of area of recommendation I wanted to talk about is that once we have the data in the NSDS dynamically coming together in ways that protect privacy, what do we do with it? And the report talks about some thoughts about how to make decisions kind of structurally. Could you elaborate? So the
1: commissioners
0: agreed that even
1: if data access was improved, even if privacy protections are improved, that alone is not a recipe for success in generating more evidence in government. So to the extent we're interested in building more and better evidence, as the report describes, there has to be a capacity to do these activities. And so this is, you know, you already introduced the concept of resources. Resources are really important. But it's not just about money, it's about expertise, it's about acknowledging the different functions in government that have to exist for a robust evidence building enterprise. So, one of the recommendations of the commission was to establish chief evaluation officers in federal departments. So, this is an individual who could be designated or appointed who could help not just champion the development of evidence and evaluation, but specifically help translate that information to be used by policymakers. There's another recommendation around developing a learning agenda, uh, sometimes called a research roadmap or um, things of that nature, and there are some departments that do this incredibly well today. Recognizing where there are gaps in the evidence that we have and sending signals to other parts of government or university researchers who may be able to contribute to filling those gaps is a really powerful mechanism for ensuring that we're generating the right kind of evidence to meet the needs of policymakers, so congressional staff or Individuals across the executive branch could provide meaningful inputs to say, I'm going to be working on a regulation or a reauthorization of this program in four years. And this is the information that I need to inform that decision. And the learning agenda can help spell that out in a really meaningful and productive way.
0: Right. What do you think are the right traits for an individual who's going to be a chief evaluation officer?
1: Uh, You know, that's a hard question to answer in a a blanket sense. Uh, Every department is going to have a slightly different context, uh, slightly different needs for expertise, but I think there are some traits that are are really important. Uh, Some level of independence is is incredibly valuable for a person who is championing the development of evidence across all programs, not ideologically based on one perspective or another, but saying we need evidence in, in every corner of government. Uh, So independence is really important, particularly if the conclusions of those studies or the evidence that's generated don't necessarily fit the immediate uh, philosophy of of an administration. Um, It may also be some level of statistical or evaluation methods, social science methods, that's going to be really critical. So to the extent this person is a translator of evidence, they need to be able to understand what the evidence actually says. Uh, But then also have an ability to uh, Whittle it down into a meaningful construct for a policymaker. So in some cases, policymakers might only have time for a bullet of information. So taking a 30-page study that's incredibly complicated, statistical methodology and whittling it down to a, a bullet is that's not a simple task. And it requires a certain familiarity with the, the technical matter, the topical matter. Uh, and again, that's that's gonna
0: vary by department. Right. And that seems to be a the theme of a lot of these recommendations, is that you correct me if you disagree with this, is that they're not real specific prescriptions, but instead more kind of general goals to strive for, which seems to leave the breathing room for agencies to adapt them to their particular mission, budget, staff. Was that something that was quite deliberate, or sort of how did you strike the balance between, you know, so generic you could get accused of it just being almost a vacuous recommendation versus not too specific to lock in a model that might work for some agencies versus others? So I would
1: say the Commission's report is called The Promise of Evidence-Based Policymaking. It's It's intended as a vision. Um, it's maybe not something that every recommendation is implemented in some form tomorrow, but over the next uh, series of months and years, um, these are principle statements, broad recommendations that can be adapted across government. Um, the commissioners had an incredible recognition based on their experience, many of them working in government, that every agency context is going to differ a little bit. So you know, does establishing a chief evaluation officer with a whole office of staff make sense in every agency? Maybe, maybe not. Um, every agency is maybe going to have a slightly different solution for allocating staff and resources and also their evidence needs. And the commissioners recognized that through the entire process. And so I think what you see in the recommendations is a reflection of that acknowledgement that every part of government is a little bit different, and blanket recommendations are often really hard to interpret if they're too specific. Right. And so some level of flexibility is really needed to have good implementation that can ensure the vision is actually accomplished.
0: Right. And the report articulates five different kind of overarching principles. I want to ask about one of them. The five are privacy, rigor, transparency, capacity. And then the fifth that I was excited to see is humility. What is that principle driving that?
1: So humility is a recognition that when we're generating evidence about any kind of program or policy, uh, it's rarely going to be perfect. It's rarely going to answer every single question that a policymaker has. And in many cases in the past, we've seen attempts to overgeneralize results of a single study and maybe extrapolating to a context that was not specifically covered in the study, Uh, maybe a geography or a country. Humility is really a recognition that there are sometimes things that we don't know. And when we're translating information, even when we're generating it or producing it in the first place, uh, we need to recognize that that level of uncertainty is going to be real. And so humility says we will be thoughtful on how we apply this information, how we apply this
0: evidence into the policy making process. So looking to the horizon now. What are the sort of things that we could start doing immediately, and then the next thing I'm going to ask is going to be, what are the things we're going to need legislation and funding to do? But what are, you, what are your thoughts on what's going to happen over the next three, six months even in terms of things we can start doing now? Well, I think everybody can start demanding more evidence and you
1: know It's not a secret. Uh, I think if I was to ask my parents, they would say, don't you already do that? But the reality is there are a lot of corners of government where We don't use evidence to its full effect, we're not generating the right kind of evidence. And so the more individuals, uh, members of the public, individuals within government itself call for the use of evidence, the more progress we'll be able to make. I mean, I'm excited to say, at least in terms of the recommendations, a lot of progress is already being made. Uh, Speaker Ryan and Senator Murray have committed to filing legislation, uh, the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking, Mm -hmm. which they announced on September 7th when the Commission released its report and they, they committed to making a down payment to say this is a really important topic we know we can do better and we want to get behind some of the commission's recommendations so when that legislation is filed hope is that it'll move fairly quickly and be able to send some really strong signals that congress is serious about doing better here uh, and the commission's recommendations are a viable path forward um, is that the end of the road no uh, this is not going to be a piece of legislation that includes every single recommendation of the commission it's not going to be a piece of legislation that solves every single problem that's out there we know there's a lot of really meaningful conversations that have to happen about implementation Uh, some of the specific details within the executive branch and the contexts of individual agencies that are going to take a lot of time and they're going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort from those who are knowledgeable and and eager to to do better here and you know we want to find ways to encourage that work going forward do we know anything about what's going to be in the Act? Um, So the legislation will be filed soon and uh, I think what you can expect what the committee staff have have mentioned is um, it's not going to be all the recommendations it's going to be some of the stuff that's honestly a little bit easier to do at the outset. Um, We know that some of the recommendations the Commission offered are really complicated. The National Secure Data Service is something that requires a, a lot of really uh, important discussions with individuals in the executive branch, individuals in Congress, that the commission could only make it so far on. And those conversations are not going to happen in the next, you know, 30 days. Uh, they're going to need many more months for productive discussion. So you will see some some of the basic um, recommendations that are, I think, a really good signal for making progress. But it's not going to be everything,
0: right? And for yourself at the bipartisan policy commission, what is on the horizon for you.
1: Yeah, so the Bipartisan Policy Center recently- I'm
0: Sorry.
1: <laughs> uh, as the Commission shut its doors just uh, a couple Great. days ago, um, the Speaker and Senator Murray were committed to uh, ensuring that somebody was on tap to continue championing and advocating the recommendations of the Commission. So uh, the Bipartisan Policy Center launched this new evidence-based mm-hmm. policymaking initiative and i uh, happy to say uh, Ron Haskins and Catherine Abraham, who were the Commission co-chairs, are also the co-chairs of the initiative. Uh, we've invited every single commissioner, former commissioner, to join an advisory council as a way of continuing in the conversation specifically around the vision of the commission. So our work over the next uh, series of months and years is going to be really helping provide assistance, uh, whether to Congress or to the executive branch, and figuring out some of the implementation strategies at a really detailed level that are necessary to make the commission's vision happen.
0: That's great. And for those of us who might want to do something to support the effort, anything that we could plug in on? Um, So I think
1: uh, everyone should feel free to check out our website, bipartisanpolicy.org backslash evidence, where we will be providing really frequent updates of progress on the recommendations. Uh, In terms of individual actions, uh, the more we can all have conversations that are meaningful within agencies, uh, nonprofits, universities about the value of this work, Including as the legislation starts to move through Congress, uh, the more likely we are to see success. So I would just encourage everyone who is interested to have conversations, reach out, um, stay up to date with where the recommendations are and the progress that's being made, and uh, let us know that you're interested.
0: That's great. And I'll join on and say, if you haven't, you should read the report, and you should also, especially if you're in the district check out the lab.dc.gov, where, again, we're very interested in all these sort of things and how they're going to play out here in the district. If you go to that website, you can sign up for more events and stay engaged with us. But with that, Nick, I want to really thank you for, um, for the discussion today. and Congratulations on the progress, and we're looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you. Thank you.